This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unholy Passion. How's it going, Ralph? Are you enjoying your summer vacation? Yeah, so far so good, Mike. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me again. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, the summer holidays here. I'm three weeks in, three weeks to go. Um, watched a lot of stuff, read a lot of books, and and made a lot of music. So I um, can't complain. Anything of note that you've checked out recently? Um, just yesterday, they released it, and I blasted through it. The 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 reboot, or be, like not reboot, but like the new version of Masters of the Universe. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah, because I'm one of those kids, you know. Like I grew up exactly at the <laughs> time when when He Man broke big and Star Wars and GI Joe, and like as I said in earlier talks we had, my father encouraged everything that had something to do with the American culture. That's why I played American football, and and uh, we had like uh, a receiver way early, so I could watch American TV. And um, so yeah, He Man was like one of the things that I loved most when I was a kid, and always followed it, and had all of the toys. And then there was this great, great reboot in the two like it was actually I think in two thousand, and it had like two seasons, and it was fantastic. And then it got canceled. And now Kevin Smith, the Kevin Smith, has rebooted it again, being the nerd and the fan that he is. And yesterday, uh, Netflix dropped like the first season, which is only five episodes, and it was fucking great. I loved it. Yeah, I got to see that. I, I'm a big follower of Kevin Smith's. Um, you know, I listen to his various podcasts, and and you know, I'm not a fan of every single film that he makes but i like a lot of his work so i'm interested in checking this out it's definitely like a nerd thing for fans by like by made by fans for fans um i mean pretty much the first episode is just like cranking like all these characters that haven't been in the original cartoon which have just been like added in in like comic books or something but like there's this he-man has one of the biggest action figure um, collectors thing going on so there's like every comic con there will be new interpretations side characters that are like appeared now and then it's almost like Star Wars and now they finally appear like in the actual narrative in the show and that was fucking cool man. And, and I loved it and dude the voice cast is out of this world man it's 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 surreal yeah I've been following <clears throat> the production because uh smith talks about it on his podcast and i'm it's, yeah. it sounds really cool man I'm, I'm probably gonna since it's uh we're recording this over the weekend uh it's likely yeah. that i'm probably gonna check it out dude i mean it's it's 25 to 30 minutes a piece and it's five episodes so it's pretty much like watching one movie and that's that's the way i also see it it's like one chapter and it could be like the first movie in a trilogy or something and there will be more and um, there's also a cool um, special, 
like be like a behind the scenes, which uh, also appeared yesterday with Kevin Smith and, and like a bunch of other people talking about it. And they have all the guests. I mean, for example, Skeletor is voiced by Mark Hamill. That's great. Who, who also did like this great Joker in the Batman animated series. And dude, like I haven't, <laughs> I, I knew that there's like great actors, and my favorite figure in Star Wars and the in the in the He-Man franchise was always Scareglow which is like a skeleton which had like phosphorin bones and he's he's uh, rule, rule, uh, ruling the land of the dead and he's like his first proper appearance and tony todd is giving him his voice oh so nice man. yeah man yeah and that's that's fantastic and then like my actually like back then my favorite figure was um triclops like the guy with the three eyes who's like a scientist and dude, like I watched it and I heard him talk. I'm like, I fucking know this voice so good. Like, I know it, and it ended up being Henry fucking Rollins. Hell yeah, that's great. I didn't know that he was involved in that. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, and it's cool. He's also in that special with Kevin Smith, and you're like, man, that's Mark Hamill, Henry Rollins, like <laughs> Tony Todd, all these. Like the voice cast is surreal, man. Yeah, that's cool, man. I uh, you know another Kevin Smith tie-in is. Uh, he uh, his his studio uh, in Keensburg, I think it's in Keensburg mm-hmm. actually, is like about five minutes away from our practice space down where, oh, and, nice. uh, in the down you know that part of Jersey, and he's been having these um, live podcast events, which I'm probably going to try to check out at least at least one or two of those like over the course of the summer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's it's like I said, it's like you know five minutes away from our space, so it's going to be cool. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Let me know how that was when you go. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to talk about it on this, man, with you. It's, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, cool. It's funny you mentioned Tony Todd, and there's uh, there's a Candyman remake, which is going to be coming out. But uh, that, I'm not that excited about that. But what I am excited about is um, there's a film called Candisha, which um, is on uh, on Shudder. Which is is kind of like inspired by the Clive the uh, Clive Barker story uh, that okay. Candyman is based on, but it also ties into uh, Moroccan you know mythology and you know this kind of stuff. Have you checked that out? No, not yet. I I, I actually saw it like uh, as a posting on the Shutter Instagram, um, but like I think I mentioned this last time, Shutter is just like an add on to Amazon Plus, right? Uh, no, no, to uh, to, to um, Amazon Prime, right? And and it, right now, Shutter in Germany only has twenty movies. Oh so, man, yeah, dude! Just, yeah, it's just like you're supposed to pay three ninety nine a month oh. extra, and it only has twenty movies. Yeah, how the f- you know? I mean, I I it, it blows my mind. We talk about this a lot about how yeah. how the hell in this day and age, in the twenty first century, in this new millennium. We can't yeah. get the same content, the same platforms for everybody across the world, man. I just don't get it. There's the, there's the. I mean, you probably know what what, what a VPN is. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's the, there's like as I mentioned before, I I, I watch pro wrestling, and there's this YouTube channel that always like talk about behind the scenes stuff, and they always have like these these sponsors of their videos, kind of like you also have for the podcast. And um, they have like one VPN where they like, okay, this is the, the VPN we use. And then they show like an actual comparison to, okay, so here's the Netflix in the UK we get. 
this is the Netflix account of a buddy of ours from Germany. And now we add the VPN. Let's see what they all have. And it's insane, man. It's there's so many videos blocked. It's also like if Danny and I compare it, just because of our like preferences, she gets movies that I don't get in Netflix. And we live like five minutes apart from each other. And it's just because of like, okay, we only offer, I don't know, maybe a thousand videos and it's based on your taste. But like if you punch in like a name uh, on, on, on Netflix, it shows you like as a search result, the product, but it's not there. So it is listed somewhere, but I can't, ju I just can't access it. Wow. Damn. That's, <laughs> that blows my mind. And, and to make, uh, to make this even more enticing, um, Candisha is, um, it's a French film, and it's uh, directed by the, the the team that brought us uh, Inside, that French extreme oh. film. It's uh, right. it was Julien Maury and uh, Alexander Bustillo. Mm -hmm. um, nice. So this is like that that dragged me in right away because I I, mean, I think Rennie told me about it actually. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was it was Rennie. <clears throat> He's always like two steps ahead on what's uh, what's new and exciting when it comes to films. And he, he's like, yeah, it's the people that did Inside. So right away I was on board. And I think it just went up this past week. But uh, so, Yeah, then I again have to do like the way I usually do and go to this illegal side and stream it <laughs> because it's the only it's, – it's, I mean, it, it fucking sucks, man. I'm a, as much as I'm a, a, like a movie fan and I never liked like ripping MP3s and sharing them, it's like – the same with fucking movies. I want to support the people that make these movies. But if I don't have the chance to watch them and I want to wait for two years until like Europe licenses like a, a French horror movie and, and I can get it on Blu-ray or DVD and it's, it's terrible. Wow. Yeah, we're probably going to talk about it on Necromaniacs because it's like it's just a great movie. It's um, conceptually it's really cool. It's very similar to the, uh, you know, the Barker Candyman story. Um, cool. The, the actual title I forgot, but there that Candyman was based on a Clive Barker um, short story, as you know. Okay. So, yeah. but uh, but yeah, well, that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I would just wanted to ask: Would you have you checked something out that people should know about? Well, I, I would say Candisha for sure is something that people okay. should go out and uh, and also there's this. Um, it's kind of hard to find, but there's uh, an old '80s crime. Uh, show called Crime Story mm -hmm. that uh, Abel Ferrara was involved in. Uh, you know, uh, Dennis Farina is the star. It's got mm -hmm. small parts by all kinds of actors that became more popular in the 90s. And uh, it's only available as, like, you buy the DVD. Like, there's, like, two seasons, and there's a box mm -hmm. set out there. And I've been obsessed with that um, for the last mm -hmm. week or so. And once again, Ren uh, Rennie and Mike were the guys who told me about it. And... Uh, it's it came out in 86 I think it was 86 to 88 so it was maybe the tail end of like the Miami Vice like uh yeah. run and mm -hmm. it's uh it's definitely like a well expanded beyond the confines of what television was doing back then I mean it's very cinematic in its approach and okay. um it's just like a you know gritty Chicago crime the cops are kind of anti-heroes, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Dice nice. Clay, Dice Holy Clay has a small part in it, you know. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. 
Yeah, I actually downloaded like that record on Spotify you talked about with with Randy, and because like I, I've never heard the name, because like Dice Clay is not a household name in the comedy scene here, so like you only get the big ones. And I mean, I think I talked about like that. Danny is like a huge comedy fan, right? And she always watch this, watch that, and I mean, I love Louis C.K. and I'm, I'm backing Dave Chappelle and shit like this, but like I've never heard about it, and like and I heard the podcast when I went like, when I drove home from Hamburg, and I'm like, okay, I have to check this out, and it's on Spotify, so like I I will do as you ask people to do, I will listen to it without having ever listened to it before, and then tell you guys what I thought. Yeah, definitely, man. It's um yeah, I'm not the biggest comedy fan, and I think that contribute to why I like Dice Clay, you know, because it's yeah. uh, it's like anti-comedy in some ways, you know? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But well, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, similar to, uh, it's funny, there's like these two parallel things that are going on with Necromaniacs and everything went black. Like at Necro, we find ourselves talking quite a bit about uh, Rob Zombie, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I've never really considered him to be a good filmmaker, really. And, uh, yeah. slowly starting to come around to him and when you and I talk we end up talking a lot about new metal <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I was never quite a fan of actually like I never realized like I was never like into new metal per se but I am yeah. discovering that uh, there are certain artists that are were, were or are and in the case of today's episode I would say more in the past tense contributed yeah. to that scene that I actually like yeah, and I when when I did research for the today's episode, and I found that like it mostly the band Deftones that we're going to talk about is referred to as being alternative metal, which I find way more appealing than the word or the brand new metal. Because in my head, when I think about new metal, I see spiky hair or like dreadlocks and like. Uh, face pain, rapping going on, and like a DJ scratching their balls off, and you know, like the Limp Biscuit, Papa Roach kind of thing. And when you compare it to Corn, which in my opinion are the founding fathers of this scene, and the Deftones are always being put into this like mix, but I don't think they're that. But like alternative metal so metal that is an alternative and also maybe adds alternative ideas from the music perspective from, from alternative bands in the 90s into a metal context that makes more sense to me i'm more comfortable with that uh terminology just because it makes me feel better about myself if i say <laughs> that they're, oh yeah i like them because they're, they're an alternative metal band but yes the yeah. counter to that is 1993's Maverick Records released Adrenaline, <laughs> their debut, which yeah. is pretty much a by-the-numbers new metal record. Yeah, and the weird thing is, but they don't you think like if you compare like all the all the Deftones records, all the new metal stuff, and I mean when the first Corn came out, they already had this chunky, thick sound, seven-string guitar or eight-string guitar, and like bass turned down to God knows what, and and the first Deftones records is an E standard, and it has like an almost burzum kind of sound. It's like really crunchy and dirty, and if you compare it to Round the Fur, then which is like a that's like the new metal sound that you expect—heavy, thick, round, warm sound. 
but adrenaline is really dirty compared to that. Right, but the songs, the sonically, I agree with you that there's a rawness yes. to it. <clears throat> you know, it's like the sounds on the record are very raw, but yeah. the the actual song structures and the songwriting kind of follow yes. that that template of uh, of what. I'm not even saying that they followed what Korn did, but they arrived at the same result. You know, yeah. possibly on an independent path, but the songs have that like very typical. And I mean, and also those guys were probably what like in their early like 21 when they made those records. That record, rather. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and they had the eyeliner and all that other stuff too. You know. Yeah, and I mean, but they're still there. Also, Chino Moreno was still doing more rapping. And I think like on on around the fur, he found his voice, and with White Pony, he was comfortable using it more. And and I mean that's for me, that's the point. Like besides the great songwriting this band has, um, it's just Chino's voice is so outstanding and so flexible, and uh, makes it that much more like interesting and appealing than, for example, Corn or um, System of a Down or something. I can't even listen to System of a Down, man. That's that's like, I remember I saw Slayer like on the Diabolos and Musica tour, and uh, mm. System of a Down was the opener, and um, yeah. I just was like, like I guess I was trying to like you know be open minded and be like, yeah, this is cool. Like the guitar playing's cool, the drumming's kind of cool, but that vocalist guy was like, just could not. Yeah. It it was like a unlistenable to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, I had to. I had the feeling when I when I was on the White Pony tour in two thousand and one. I think that was the European tour. It had like two support bands, and the first one was called Taproot, and they just they made one record, and it had like it was white guys in baggy jogging pants and wife beaters, and the the main guy had like dyed blonde hair and he rapped and sang and did like squeals and the guitar was doing like this Tom Morello kind of scratching now and then it was just terrible. It's totally pathetic. But I thought like, well, it's new metal people. That's what people like right now. And I'm not opposed to new metal, but then the second band came on stage and had like a blonde singer and another guy rapping and the guitar player wore headphones on stage, which I hated instantly. And it was fucking Linkin Park. And uh, two years later, they were the biggest rock band on the planet for a second. And I'm like, oh, God. And that's the same feeling. It's unbearable. Like Linkin Park, I never understood how they got so big. I, I That's the guy who killed himself, right? Was in that band? The singer. Uh, I, he's dead. I don't, I don't know if he killed himself, but he's definitely dead. Yeah, maybe he killed himself. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I... I mean, I'm not into any of that stuff, man. And and I didn't even really. I got to be completely honest with you. I didn't even give the Deftones a an objective listen until maybe 2010. Okay. <laughs> you know? okay. I mean, I didn't even think about ever listening to them until like like 2010 came around. And uh, and it was my my former uh, girlfriend who actually was the one who opened my mind to them. You know what I mean? And I was like. Um, objectively, I was able to really enjoy their music because I, I always just thought Deftones, new metal, rap metal, not my thing. Um, yeah. Even though <clears throat> there was some very vague nostalgia dating back to 1997 around them, I was they were never able to scale the wall 
that would put them within my my listening diet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you remember what the first thing you heard from them? Like, was it was it Jackie that introduced you to them? Or? Well, the first thing I heard, yeah, she was the one who actually told me about them. And she's like, oh, you should listen to these yeah. guys. Like, you know, don't be such like a, you know, dullard. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, that wasn't the terminology. <laughs> That's my. Uh, <laughs> but back in the 90s, when I lived in Boston, I do remember my. And this is another reason why I didn't like I decided not to like them. When when Radiohead and the Deftones they they had like these kind of simultaneous releases around that time, and um, yeah. you know it was like the uh, not the the one big Radiohead record that everyone likes, OK Computer. Yeah, you know everyone was going nuts about it, and um, at the time I was living in a house um, with like you know more or less five people living there, and then it was one of those houses where like. There was always someone sleeping on the couch or like some dude to be like there that you don't know with his pit bull or something. And then like, you know, this guy would live here for two months and he'd move and his room would be taken over by some other dude. You know, there'd be bands staying there all the time. And but it was ba mainly like three people that lived there, three or four people that lived there for uh, the duration of the time. It was, um, you know, me and my my mortal enemy, Dean Botalonis, <laughs> lived there and uh <laughs> Uh, EK from I used to be in Warzone and sick of it all, and uh, Al Garcia, uh, who's you know was in like American Nightmare and like a bunch of other bands. So we all lived together at this house, and um, Dean was the guy who um, you know he used to be in Wrecking Crew and all 454 Big Block. So he was like this tough guy, hardcore dude, mm -hmm. you know, and. He turned this page in his life where now, okay, I'm like the indie rock guy. Like I want to, you know, make money playing guitar, so I'm going to model my new bands after all this like successful music that's going on. And uh, that's how I found out about that. I think it was around the fur, the Deftones record, mm -hmm. or or it might even have been White Pony at that point. Yeah. So that I would hear that being played in the house, and I was like. This is kind of cool, but these like poser type roommates that I have are, are are into this record, so I don't like it. You know what I mean? It was one of these yeah. like very immature, uh, you like it, I hate it kind of vibes that I had about Deftones, which carried into my true adult life. And it wasn't until I was like almost forty years old that I actually opened my mind enough to listen to their music. Yeah, but that that like the audience a band has is sometimes really it's also for me making it hard to like the band. And I mean, I saw Deftones play live a bunch of times. I mean, I saw them the first time on their first European tour at I said Bielefeld, where you also played with Rise and Fall way back with yeah. Tombs. Mm -hmm. So it's like this anti-fascist little squad thing, and I still have pictures of that. Um, and uh, I mean, I saw them saw them play big stages and also on a festival. Um, but it's like I love this band and I hate most of the people that are around me watching them right now. <laughs> and it's the same with New Model Army. It's like a friend of mine said, like the greatest band with the worst fans, because New Model Army has like a lot of these hippie kind of dudes and, and dudettes, you know, like wearing like uh, I don't know like dreadlocks with jingle and bells in it and 
yeah, coming to the show barefoot and and like there's always the the pissing contest i have a band shirt from the tour in 90s something and like no my band shirt's over and the most important thing is never wash them before you go to the show oh man it's yeah terrible <laughs> i know that i love that band i know that smell man <laughs> that's like there used to be this yeah. festival down in um, philly that was like I went to it a couple times. I saw like Totalitar played there and World Burns to Death and, you know, a bunch of those bands. And that that's the crowd that offers they offer this style of music that attracts yeah. people who don't take showers and are dirty, basically, you know, and it's like, OK, well, yeah. I like to shower and uh, but I do like the music, but, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, Hellstrom, like my 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 crossband, we only played venues like this, and I I love to. We played with Victims, we played with From Ashes Rise, and all these bands, and I always liked them. But like From Ashes Rise, they had hotel rooms booked, you know, like they didn't want to sleep in those quads anymore. And like um, I can totally see why because I like to shower at least once a day if that's possible, please. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they have an alternative lifestyle and, and uh, yeah, like uh, sh taking a shower is not always like the main priority. Yeah, I just never understood the, uh, the lack of um, hygiene. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like I never was able to comprehend that, you know, but yeah. hey man, you know, you gotta, it's the man, you know, making yeah. cleaning products and we're rejecting corporate society and all that, I guess. Yeah, while while they were drinking the 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 most connoisseur beer there is, and, it's like, <laughs> and smoking cigarettes by like some minor industries, and it's, it's I don't know. Like we can always find like a problem with with anything if you're like thinking clearly. And uh, I mean, I love I have so many people I know that are cross punks, and I always like I like like them. But yeah, the 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 cross punk hairstyle and and uh, smell style, if you want to call it this, is also not really my cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things we were talking about <clears throat> is new metal and Deftones, and I remember in preparation for this, uh, you know, this this uh, show, this episode. I listened to an interview that Chino did with uh, some outlet like way back in the day, like when he was still wearing eyeliner at the time. And his comment was, even at that point, before Around the Fur came out, he was trying to differentiate what they were doing from the other bands. And one of the things he said is that we don't focus on like suffering and, and you know, depression in our music. It's about like, you know, love and relationships and, you know, life yeah. and stuff like that, which I, th I thought that was very interesting. And then I started thinking about that. And it's true, like even the subject matter of the Deftones material is like a little bit more, uh, you know, I guess mature in some ways than like say yeah. ta Taproot or Corn or yeah. something, you know? Yeah, I rem like I also I have, I watched it, there's, there's this cool, um, youtube channel i think it's called rock and roll stories and like the guy is always doing great research and then doing these videos with like interview out uh, like cutouts and shit like this and there was one about like recording white pony and i think it was the same thing that he like same source that he quoted about like a lot of tormented souls and that he can't really take it seriously and I mean, that's that's also like the, the thing that changed between Around the Fur and Adrenaline, which was focused about him and how he feels, where he says like with White Pony, he completely like stepped away from this and wrote 
stories about things he saw or that he dreamt of or something. And has like he said, uh, my idea was like I try to find out, figure out the words to the cures pornography without reading the lyrics. And like Robert Smith's vocal style and text style like influenced him. And then also like the work of Nick Cave. So like telling stories about fictional things. And I mean, yeah, if you have like songs like Knife Party is about a party in their tour bus where they all danced around with knives. But he imagined like how a society would work where people like always carried a knife in their hand. And, and like fell in love with their knives and shit and like that's interesting yeah yeah for sure man and uh it's i also read when they were talking about forming the band well actually let's just run through the classic lineup first so yes we yeah. identify who some of these people are so uh well the, the 93 lineup was uh chino moreno on vocals uh stephen carpenter on guitar abe cunningham cunningham on drums and uh chi chang bass and he was in the band, well, he passed away in 2013. And uh, he was in the band from 1990 to 2008. And But he is the bass player on what I consider to be the band's uh, height, like the height of their popularity, and in my opinion, the height of their uh, creative uh, appeal, at least to me. Yeah. So one of the things that I read about was, and it, it kind of speaks to what you just said, about when um, when Chino and uh, Stephen Carpenter and Abe Cunningham started playing together, <clears throat> they were like trying to do a band that was thrash metal with like Cure lyrics, basically. And I was like, wow, that's pretty pretty fucking cool, in my opinion. You know, I think that's like yeah. a great like uh, mission statement to start a band. You know, yeah, of course. I mean, it's like a bunch of these cool stories, like with with bands. If you do research, I mean, you you also, I think you also saw like the Killing Joke documentary. Yes, it's like that that like the jazz had an like a, in the newspaper like an ad that he's looking for fellow Satanists to do like Joy Division satanic post punk. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> or or something like this. Like, like the Joy Division was later, but it's it's funny that like okay, so you wanted to have like a Satanist band that does post punk. And um, I mean, you, do you know that band Ink and Dagger? Of course, man. Classic uh, Philly, you know, Philly vampire punks. Yeah, right. And they, they they were always termed like emo or something. And there were so much more, but like having like this different approach about what you're singing about in a different kind of music is always interesting. And I mean, thrash metal with with the pure lyrics that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, so that right, right there and then there, I was like, in, that kind of in, endeared me to them more. So even though it's, yeah. I mean, debatable, I, I I missed the boat on them, to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I um, I wasn't there in the '90s supporting them. I didn't really. I actually met Chino once. Like he, um, it was probably uh, I don't know '96 or something like that when they were doing Ozfest, and mm-hmm. um, a buddy of mine, Aaron. Uh, was like one of these like guys who was like always a roadie, you know, for other bands. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to make like a career out of being a roadie. So he was on mm-hmm. tour with the Deftones back in the 90s when they were doing the Ozfest thing. And back in the 90s, going to see Ozfest was 100% not something I was going to be doing. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I met, we're at, I'm at this burrito joint. I see Aaron, and he's with this little Mexican guy. 
and it was mm. Chino, it was Chino. <laughs> he introduced <laughs> me to this dude, and I'm like, yeah, that guy's kind of a, seems like kind of a dick, you know. So I was like, another another thing that added to my like uh, vibe of being like anti, not anti, but unimpressed, I guess, by the Deftones yeah. back then. See, that's why I always wondered, like, how is he as a person? Because he always comes across as kind of nice and likable. But I thought, like, maybe you you need to, uh, like, put your your fingers out to your boy, uh, Jeff Kashid. Because, I mean, he he was in that band with him, right? Yeah, with Paul. Yeah, those guys, uh, you know, Aaron, Harris, Clifford, all those guys, they had palms. And um, I can't speak. I I have some information regarding that, but I don't feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, of course. For sure. But, um, you know, once again, I don't I don't know him personally. I don't have any yeah. anything to go on except for that forty second interaction with him on the, on the line, ordering burritos, yeah. and uh, and the music, and that's really it. So, yeah. see the thing that like I I mean also like in my point of entry episode on on, on metal matters and and like several other occasions I I always consider myself being like a pop music kid. Like I grew up with punk and metal and everything, but like before that was pop music. And I think whatever I do in bands always has like a pop appeal in the sense that I try to have like real proper songwriting with like bridge verse and chorus shit. And I just like melody and harmony. So, I mean, we're like you and Randy talked about it and we talked about it. We also, I also love noisy kind of terrible music you know like godflesh and swans the early stuff but i'm always more attracted to like having this pop sensibility and more so than the other new metal bands like i think you can hear the influences of the deftones being completely all over the place and and i mean he talked about being a fan of the cure and duran duran and and the smiths like early on in the interviews i read for adrenaline but like in with uh, around the fur and later, especially with White Pony, these influences got bigger and bigger. And I remember like when I read an interview, uh, like so, what were the influences for White Pony? And he said, "Well, we wanted to have a mixture of Meshuga, the Cocteau Twins, and Faith No More." <laughs> I'm like, "That's that's a wild thing," but I I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, my one criticism about the band is like i mean for me just as a guitar player i'm not that into carpenter's guitar riffing style really you know it's to me it's i don't know man like i'm not i don't want to like critique this because like there's songwriting and then there's playing but there's like a certain laziness to that dude's guitar playing that i just i just Mm -hmm. don't really appreciate you know but wasn't that also kind of the appeal of new metal that you'd like down tune and you can pretty much have like the first three strings tuned to one note and it's just like juke juke, and you can like kind of like the the thing that arrived in the in the vegan straight edge mosh thing with Earth Crisis and these bands, and and then I think like for me, I mean, I, before new metal was out, I was already into like these vegan hardcore bands, and there was kind of it was kind of blending into each other, and that was also seen later on with like. Um, I, I wrote like something down here that um, the, the 90s when new metal broke or alternative metal was like the time of guest vocal spots because uh, I mean we have on White Pony we have uh, Maynard Keenan of Tool singing on Passenger 
we'll have uh, Scott Weiland doing backup vocals on RX Queen. Oh, I did that. I didn't know Scott whole... was on. I didn't know Weiland. I didn't know that Scott Weiland was on that record. Yeah, he just like does like harmony humming. He was just bailed out of jail back then, <laughs> and he was friends with with uh, with one of the guys. And he came to the studio and hung out, and then he just did like backup harmonies to that. <laughs> but it's also like on the on the on around the fur you had Max Cavalera sing on Head Up right. and then like Chino did guest guest vocals on a Strife record and and stuff like this yeah you know it's funny like on these big major label releases you know people the amount of money that gets spent on things especially in the 90s right yes now how much do you think Wyland got to home on that record you think he got like twenty or twenty or thirty grand to like come down and, and home on as a back background uh, vocal. Yeah. <laughs> if you like that, that's pretty much a reasonable price when you consider that they, <laughs> um, they 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 recorded round the fur in two months while writing a bunch of the stuff in studio. But White Pony, they, it took them four months and was just for the music, and and then like in this video that I saw, like Chino said, like yeah. I mean, the worst worst part, like the best part for the studio and the worst part for a label was that the the studio had a TV and a PlayStation with Tony Hawk. And they just hung out for days, just played video games before they went back to work. So it took them four fucking months to make a record. And I mean, they wrote half the stuff, including the lyrics, in studio. And I could never do that. I mean... Ah, the lyrics, man. Like, I, 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 I could see writing music in the studio. Right. Um, yeah, because you know, bands always have ideas. I'm not going to say that those are the best ideas that come around spontaneously. I mean, it's not not like a song in its entirety. I think some of the best ideas for riffs and the best ideas for bridges and pieces of songs might come around spontaneously. But a song from beginning to end being written like that in that manner, I don't think would give the best results, at least for me. And yeah. Certainly not lyrics, man. Lyrics are like, you know, I mean, I've I've yeah. seen people write lyrics in in the studio, um, yeah. in my brief period as like a recording engineer, and um, it blows my mind that there's anything that of value that comes out of something like that. Yeah, I couldn't do that either. It's like I need to in so much time drafting, redrafting, and adding. It's also like editing the songs in the in the. I mean, I, we all the the new author stuff is like pretty much we wrote it by sending like files and back and forth. But it always for me before a song is finished, it needs the treatment in the rehearsal room so we can see okay. This works, and oh, you, 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 like you did this, uh, this chord wrong, but it sounds great, so let's keep it. And I mean, just like writing songs in the studio, thinking about later, okay, this could have been so much better if we had time to work on it. But I guess that's just the way things work for some bands, and well, couldn't do it for me, especially not the lyrics. And let, I mean, I wonder how much of that's true, though. Like, I wonder if Chino had a notebook with ideas in it, and they just be edited them together in the studio and was like okay i wrote them all in the studio i mean that, that seems yeah. more likely to me yeah yeah but I, I don't know but still like what they achieved i mean around the fur is probably my favorite deftones record i love white pony was really special when it came out there's like two later records now that came out that are like better than around than white pony 
but overall that's that's their record and it's it, it i think that solidified them as a band that is way out of this new metal thing so like as an actual important rock band that you can take serious and like referring to a topic we addressed in an earlier episode of, of our unholy passion brand is it's the same thing if you if you take faith no more going from the real thing to angel dust it's like yeah yeah i agree with that i mean because there was like a pretty big lag between um it was like four years i think between around the fur and adrenaline yes yeah, yeah. so that, that's quite a bit of time especially you know you're, you're all they're all young men you know, in their early 20s, yeah. developing their musical style. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Knife Party, there's like that background vocal by uh, mm -hmm. Rodlene Getzik. Are, yeah, you, are you familiar with her? I, I know that she's like a, like a performance artist and like a choir singer, uh, opera singer or something. Well, there's also a film that she was in called The Bunny Game. Okay, no, I didn't know that. Which is like a, a super extreme, uh, you know, it's like one of those movies that is cr crossing the line in some ways in its extremity, and I, I haven't seen it, but uh, once again, Rennie, uh, Rennie Stark, <laughs> Starkweather is the guy who, who uh, I forgot how we were, I think maybe it was in one of our episodes of talking about um, the Deftones and New Metal, like he brought that up to me, he was like, oh yeah. Uh, check out, have you ever seen the bunny game that Rodlene Getzik is in? And I'm like, I haven't. And he sent me a link to the trailer. And there's like, I think on IMDb, there's this extensive like little mini doc about the film and you know how far out the filmmaker is and how Getzik was like really into the role. And it has to do with, you know, some per pervert trucker guy you know, preying on women and there's like, you know, rape scenes and abuse and all this stuff. And I'm like, um, you know, good for you. You know, you got to make film like that. That's cool. Not for, not <laughs> something I really want to sit through to be honest, but, uh, it was intriguing, you know, cause like, I don't know. I was like, wow, that's, I, you, you see people appear on these records and you don't realize that yeah. they have all these like stories behind them sometimes. And it's just like, Oh, Rod, Rod Lean gets it out of, is in some extreme horror films. Interesting. Nice. Yeah, I mean that's but that's uh, that's also the appeal that Chino has to me as just like a fan of art, like also with music. He's one of the guys also like Mike Patton that still like has an eye on the pulse and like has like newer bands. So I think Chino did a song together with Chelsea Wolf at some point, and it's just like I mean the guy. I don't know like how old is Chino Molino now. He's got to be uh, in his fifties or fifty maybe. He was born in '73. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. he's getting up there. Yeah. So, um, so, but still, like, I mean, as a band in that realm, also, like, when he started Palms or like joining Team Sleep and these bands, he's like interested in this art form of music, and that's what always made him to me. I don't know, like, a certain they they certainly had their point of being rock stars. I mean, after after White Pony, they all got fat because they were just like doing drugs and all the time. And I mean, that's like a case with a lot of newer bands that have been influenced by the Deftones as well. And like, if you can see, so they're doing something in a niche and like they growing out of that niche and getting bigger. And then they're becoming successful and kind of lazy. And that for me is like uh, the typical thing that happened to the Deftones because 
after the success of White Ponies, like how do you follow up a record like this? And um, I think like the the same title Deftones record after that is not really good, and even more so the Saturday Night Saturday Night Wrist one in two thousand six, they're just not good. But they, to my opinion, they found their strength back with Diamond Eyes and Koino Yokan, like the two thousand ten and twelve records. They are the ones. I when I, when I wrote this down, I thought about the Halloween franchise. So that it's like okay, they should have they should have done like these two records right after White Pony, and but they had like these interim movies like Halloween Five and Six <laughs> or something, it, you know, like things yeah. you kind of didn't want. Like you can still see it's the same branch and as uh, the the same brand, but you kind of don't like it, and that's the same with there. Like there are good tracks on both those records, but then like for me. I had given up on them. And then someone told me, dude, like Diamond Eyes, the new Deftones is amazing. I'm like, ah, okay, I'll try it. And it really blew me away. It's really a good record. And Koino Yokan even more so. But after that, like the three records, no, the two records after that, to me, are complete horseshit. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you about that. Because uh, I, I, I didn't, I don't really know anything about them post- uh, White Pony. Yeah. I mean, I know there's, I know they have records out. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. you know, and I know that uh, I saw the video for that song Minerva. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a that's a good song. Yeah. It, it is. It's cool. And I and I saw the video. I'm like, these motherfuckers have like a budget, man. Like they're shooting this yeah. out in the desert with like you know, like all this like <laughs> you know like the the just a probably a legion of people to make a video like that. You know? Yeah. They, I mean, back then they were a gigantic band. And they were successful. Look at look at how big Corn are still to this day. I mean, they're like they're a different level band, but Deftones are still a household name. Um, and I, I I can't say that there's any record or anything they put out that I completely dislike. It's just like the motivation or maybe the the I don't know the like being. Being in like having integrity in what you do is lacking with some of these records. Where I think like, ah, I don't know, they should have not done it. I mean, they they started writing a record with Chi Chang before he had the car accident and went into the coma, and they completely bounced this because they didn't want to finish it. I, I was always like, it's, it's almost like the Event Horizon thing where you wish you could hear it. Um, but I mean, then the the quicksand guy entered the band. And Sergio Vega, yeah. Yes, right. And they had like Frank Delgado, the DJ, like being in the band full time. And I mean, they always and that's what I what I like give them credit for is they always did what they thought was right. But I mean, the 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 problems Stephen or Stefan, I think Stefan is his name, and Chino had that started at uh, on White Pony because. Uh, before that, it was just Stefan writing guitar, and then Chino taught himself to write the guitar. And from what I understood was that on White Pony, the heavier tracks, they were all Stefan's songs. But uh, Change in the House of Flies or Digital Bath are all songs Chino wrote. And I think that's what, what made the Deftones this, this household band that can balance like loud and quiet, fragile and aggressive. And with the, the like the formula they did later on, and I think Stefan at some point wanted to quit the band later. 
Really, I didn't. I didn't realize he wanted to just do like uh, you know, like like heavy guitar type rock music. Yeah, they had like one. I think it was Gore, like the 2016 record, which to me is the worst record they have done because it's just it plays and you can listen to it and you hear like, okay, it's the Death Jones, but there's not one moment that really like sticks your like to your eye uh, to your ear, and. Um, that's that's the same with Saturday Night Wrist. It's like there's one hit on it, and that's great, but the rest is just like I don't know, water flowing down the river, you know. But um, these uh, these two records in between, and that's what I, if if you like if you say like I want to try out different Deftones records later on stuff, 2010's Diamond Ice and 2012's Koino Yokan, they have like new metal tuning now and then so you've got like these things but it's not to an extent where you get like annoyed by it with a lot of new metal but the songs in themselves the lyrics how they are written they're just fantastic and i love these two records and i cannot praise them enough as long as long as like i listen to that i don't want to put on baggy pants and pierce my belly button and stuff like that yeah then that's cool you know grow dress It's not going to happen, but it's uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you want to reconsider your flying patterns around the world, you know, because we all learn from, from <laughs> Stefan that uh, uh, the Earth is a flat, flat uh, plate that you can fall off. <laughs> I, I, that blows my mind that that guy thinks that because, like, like you were saying, man, it's like this fucking guy has seen the curvature of the Earth from a plane, like, yeah. like I don't. I, it just baffles me, man, that people are, are that a guy who should know better like him is is involved in that kind of thought pattern. Yeah, that's that to me is like re, like when I read about the fight that he started with White Pony about like, no, I just I want to write the guitar stuff and I don't like your ideas. And like, I mean, imagine White Pony just having heavy songs. It would have worked. But I think what made this record such a success are tracks like Digital Bath or like Change in the House of Flies. And it made, it made them the household name they are. And to later on bitch around, it's like, oh, no, uh, this is not my idea. I will leave the band. And then he's whining about like stuff like this. And that's like a flat earther. He, well, I mean, I always thought he would look unsympathetic in a way. I don't know. Like, and this all pro- kind of proves my point. I think I want to chill with Abe Cunningham. He always looked like a laid-back dude, and he's a kick-ass drummer. Yeah, <laughs> he thought he looked unsympathetic. That's funny. Yeah, I can see yeah. that, man. He has that look about him. You know, have yeah, you have know. you uh, checked out the Black Stallion remix record? Black Stallion remix? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's like remixes of all the tracks from uh, White Pony. Ah, okay. Black Stallion. Okay, no, I have. I saw that this came out. Oh wow! Is it is it worthwhile? Not really. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I remember that was also that was also a phase in the nineties. I remember when Fear Factory got big, and I I totally loved the first one. And when the Manufacturer came out, I was also a fan. But then all of a sudden, it was Fears the Mind Killer and Remanufacture, where they had like the remixes of all this stuff. I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't need this. No. If if you were to uh, come up with your own, um, you know, playlist of uh, you know, a couple tracks from what what are your select tracks from these records? 
from the the two main ones yeah. we talked about. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's go for well for around the fur um, from the actual actual tracks. I mean, of course, uh, 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 "Be Quiet and Drive" is the hit, and yeah. and, and well, uh, we all know this, but my favorite songs are "Around the Fur," "Lotion," and "Die the Flu." But I have to say, my my favorite track of the whole record, and that's again is a real '90s thing when CDs were were the medium. Did you know that um, the I don't know? Do you own the record? Like uh, around fur? No, I don't. <laughs> so, um, I back then I changed to CDs completely. I mean, there was the time when vinyl kind of like declined and, and tapes weren't a thing anymore so it, well, but it was the time where you had seven I think 78 minute fit on a CD or something like this or 82 I'm not sure but it was the time of hidden bonus tracks yes and there is a hidden bonus track on around the fur um, and it's also like I just checked it out on, on Spotify so if you play the last track and then it's like a half an hour of nothing and then you have four minutes the call song called Damoni or Demon, and I don't know. I and that's to me is the best song on the whole record. But it's like a B side, hidden way in the back of the record. Yeah, that song. Like, you know, that that actually would be on my playlist too, because like I only experienced this record uh, as a co- I've never paid any money to own any Deftones music, so I just uh, yeah. I have like MP3s and I listen to it like online these days. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, "Be Quiet and Drive" is a classic. Like that's, yeah. you know, that that's gonna go down in history as one of the greatest songs ever written, in my opinion. You know what I mean? I, I love that track. And like I said, I didn't even discover that. Like I remember hearing it, but I didn't really embrace it until maybe ten years ago. You know? Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, that's on my list. My own summer. I like that song. Yeah. Um, I'm not going in any particular order here. Uh, mascara is cool. I like that one a lot. Knife party. I like that weird vocal at the end. You know. Yeah, but that's okay. That's uh, I just I just did the uh, just around the first. So white pony. Oh, okay. I have some Sorry. More, but, but what what are your white pony ones? So uh, street carp. Yeah, and that's probably it. That that would be my like playlist to get ready to go out on the town on like a Friday night. You know what I mean? With spiky blonde hair. Yeah, I'd, I'd get my baggy pants together and like my uh, Adidas, uh, you know, sneakers and uh, <laughs> my my running my running jacket, you know, my my uh, red and white Adidas uh, running jacket, and that's how I'd go out on the town. I'd listen to those tracks I guess, first. I w- with some like fly ray bands and like go to a girl and say, "Come, my lady, come, my pretty lady." <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm a butterfly, sugar baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with with uh, uh, with um, White Pony, um, gotta say the 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 trilogy of Korea, which is like a super heavy song, but bit chaotic, but has this great ending. Going into the passenger, going into change in the house of flies. That's always my favorite moment. But I also love Digital Bath and RX Queen. So, I mean, both these records are pretty flawless in a way. Um, but, yeah, these are my favorite tracks on there. You know, I, I like, uh, I, don't, I don't really like Maynard's voice, man. I know that might be yeah. unpopular with a lot of people, but uh, that, I'm not a fan of his voice, really. 
Yeah, I know that that's like a hit or miss thing. I think there's no one that says, yeah, Tool are okay. It's either you love him or you don't like him. Um, and I'm not also like never been a big fan. I remember when when the first uh, Opiate was that that was the EP, right? I don't know. Like the, when the first with well, the one with Prison Sex and Sober that record. That's uh, under, when that Undertow. Came, undertow, yeah. Yeah, correct, correct, yeah. When that came out, I kind of liked it because I liked, I loved the videos for that, for those songs. And um, then never like really got into Tool. I liked the first um, A Perfect Circle record, which is kind of more like indie rock in a way. But I'm also like never super keen on, on his vocals. But I think like for, for this one with Passenger, I dig it. Um, yeah, did 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 you know that that I almost got into a fight with one of the guys from two uh, from Tool? Really? Who? Which guy? <laughs> I don't know. It was I think it was the bass player or the guitar player because I blocked his parking spot. Oh god! <laughs> because uh, yeah, it was when Danny and I were on our honeymoon and we were at the West Coast, and um, that was the time like a year after Southern Lord reissued the Planks records on mm-hmm. CD. Yep. And um, I've been like I was in touch with uh, with um, uh, uh, damn Greg Anderson. That's him. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, you want to come to the Southern Lord headquarters and like go out and have some burritos?" I'm like, "Oh, sweet, yeah, let's do that." So we were there in LA, and he said, "Like you can park behind the building," and I parked, and we went upstairs, hung out. He showed us the rooms of Southern Lord, and he's like, "Oh, did you like did you block this car like at the at the black cubicle because it was like a black cube behind the house, which was like I don't know like a building, but it was completely black and had one door only." And then it's like, "Oh, you have to go down there and get the car away because that's Tool's rehearsal room," oh, and. Yeah, and these guys, they're not happy when someone blocks their doorway. And, like, I went down, and that guy came out, and it looked like he looked familiar, and he was like, Is that your car? It's like, Oh, yeah, man, sorry, well, apologize. And he was being a dick about it, and that, that didn't make uh, the band any more attractive. Did, did he have a British accent? Because that's the bass players, uh, uh, either British or Australian or something like that. No, not, then that's not him. Then it was uh, maybe the guitar player or something. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I, I think I, would, I wouldn't even recognize Maynard Keenan on, on the street when I see him. But he, I think he is just, he has a wine yard, right? And just hangs, hangs out in his, in his vineyard. Yeah, that's like his thing. I mean, I, 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 I got to be honest with you. When Opiate came out and um, Undertow, those two records, I saw Tool uh, opening for the Rollins band. And, um, oh, man. And I, I was like, man, these guys are fucking killer, man. I was, you know, because it was the whole, you know, they were up and coming at the time. Uh, they, yeah. were, they were doing something different. You know, I picked up on, on the lyrics a little bit being like, more personal than like the bullshit that people were writing about, you know, back then. And, yeah. um, and I was like, then I saw the EP and the LP and I think I bought them together cause I was so blown away by seeing them live. And, yeah. uh, and I thought Undertale is a fantastic album and I, opiates great, you know, and I even, you know, the, the, the guitar playing I thought was interesting, even though it was very simple. The drumming I thought was like by far the most interesting thing about the band. Yeah. And then I saw them again on Lollapalooza and I saw them uh when they started climbing up the ladder uh they mm. played in Boston. I saw them as a, a headliner with uh failure as the opener. 
Oh, wow, okay. And then uh, I lost, I just like lost interest in them. I just thought that the records after that, uh, they just started getting high from their own supply, as people say, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you kind of start, I don't know, man. I think you become, I think Maynard might have become like infatuated with himself and real, yeah. you know, you, you embrace this like thing and you just start recreating records that are the style of music that your band plays, quote unquote, you know? And I never, I think that with each release, they became less and less interesting to me. And I, and his vocals became like very much more self-conscious and I less appealing to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's the fate of a lot of bands that get popular and hyped at some point. What, what, what is there that you can do? I mean, look at the development of Mastodon by now. So when they came out, they were the hottest thing, and I had tremendous respect for them. Then they dared something, and they had success. And I mean, these guys never appeal like people I would have liked to hang out with. But I had respect for them. But over the years, it got like, it's always the same thing, but they try to be more rock and roll and something off and cool. But it's just, I don't know, totally boring to me. Yeah, I um the drummer uh Braun and uh and yeah. Bill Kelleher, the other guitar player, I've known those guys since way before they were in Mastodon, before they were in Today is the Day, like all that stuff. And uh mm. uh the band never really appealed to me. I mean I'm not and I'm not trying to be like too cool to like say that I like Mastodon. I mean it's like I remember when they first came out seeing them live and being like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Um you know, interesting music cool guitar playing but like no there was nothing that really in like captured my imagination when i watched them perform and then they released that that uh seven inch that picture disc seven inch that came out on uh on uh that uh, chris x's label um Mm -hmm. that i thought was fantastic i thought that was great you know and then they signed a relapse and i was like not that blown away by it because there was almost like I don't know there were the, the, the there was there just lacked something that I needed in the music and maybe it was like poorly written lyrics or something or no meaning no. to the music to me or it was like music for like I don't know it just didn't fit into my my life really you know and I didn't it didn't it wasn't anything that I found particularly compelling aside from the technical aspects of the band which I thought no one's no one's better players than those guys like those guys are and i am happy for their success it's just that i'm not really a fan of their music and that's just you know and and nowadays their music is completely irrelevant to me yeah but it's i mean again it's like if you compare bands that came out and were successful in a similar genre it kind of always comes down to the songwriting and what attracts you more because I mean, one band, when it comes to mind, that kind of went the same path as Mastodon did, but always did it in a better way, was Baroness. Because when Baroness came out, like the first two EPs, they had kind of like this technical, a bit metal, a bit rock, but well, good players. But it was always more appealing. And they they got bigger too. They also supported Metallica, became this big rock band. And I'm not a, like a big fan of what uh, what Baroness is doing now, but I can listen to it any day of the week more than I can listen to Mastodon. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard call. I mean, I have sim- similar feelings um, yeah. to to Baroness as well. I mean, I, I John John Baisley's 
fucking prince of a man. I love John Baisley as a as a guy. Yeah. Like he's, you know, a creative, you know, fucking force. You know. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I'm not. You know, I, I don't. I hesitate to say all any of these things because I, I once again am very happy that um of the success that they have. You know, but I, I am not particularly yeah. a fan of the music. Yeah. But that's the same thing that people might say about Deftones, you know, and sure. it's cool. I can understand that. But it's just like, I mean, for me, they were Deftones were there at the right time when Mastodon, maybe when Mastodon had come out at a different time, maybe it would have worked better. I saw them a bunch of times live and it was always impressive, but the same. It's just never resonated with me. And I mean, I've seen when New Metal broke, I've seen a bunch of those bands and before it came completely pathetic with bands like Mudvayne and Orgy and all this shit, when it came, became absolutely terrible. Um, but the Deftones, they always stuck out and they have the better songwriting and they have the more charismatic charismatic voice. And it's, for, to me, it's a, when I want to compare it to a different scene, I always loved black metal, always thought like... Uh, the, the corpse paint is cringeworthy sometimes and like the attitude and then a band like Wolves in the Throne Room comes out like some random more crust punk looking guys understanding how this music works how the the mood of the is, is set right and they just do something from the heart and it clicks and to me Deftones are that in just like in a new metal way yeah, yeah I mean they've totally uh, superseded that whole image, man, and, and you know, like I said, I'm gonna go with the alternative metal, uh, you know, yeah. tagline because I'm more comfortable with that. But all jokes aside, they really have transcended their that whole genre. They become like their own, their own yes. thing, and that's like uh, very much like something I admire about them at this stage is that they have created a sound that is influencing many, many bands. I mean, you think about like Glassjaw and like all these other bands that came after that. They're like very yeah. much in that same style, you know. Totally, yeah, and it's it's just like that's what I meant with if you want to check out Diamond Eyes or Koine Yokan, you can hear like from the tuning or from the way they operate their instruments. So it has that same background, but they do something completely different. Whereas a new corn record will always be a new corn record. You know, you know, it's funny that you touched on it was like the straight edge hardcore nineties. Uh, you know, flirtation with new metal, which yeah. which I a hundred percent like fucking agree with, man. Like Earth Crisis, uh, Slither, that record that came out on um, on Roadrunner. Yeah, specifically yeah. that record has a new metal sound. Totally, but the the most odd thing about Earth Crisis was uh, when they when they I mean they were on Victory I think until Kamora season ends, and then they got to Roadrunner for Breed the Killers, and I mean. When you think about Earth Crisis, you think about some ve militant vegan straight edge people, you know? And who did fucking guest vocals on that record? Phil Anselmo. It's like, is there someone that can be more off to Earth Crisis than Phil Anselmo? <laughs> well, I remember around that time, like in the, um, they, they were like, they became like tough guys, sort of. Like there was, uh, they would tour with Marauder and like Madball yeah. and stuff like that. And that was like yeah. this kind of rebranding of the band, yeah. and like that, you know, I, there was like a press photo where they had like like vegan leather jackets on and like gold chains or something like that. And I was like, 
I'm like, okay, this is a little bit different than the baggy pants, bandana, you know, vegan straight edge trip, you know, they had earlier. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Gamora's season is like, that. to me, that's the the one Earth Crisis record I really like, you know? Yeah. And my understanding is that the uh, the infamous uh, Jim Winters was involved in uh, writing a lot of that record. Okay, yeah. So, you know. See, what I just, like, saw in my, in my notes here, when I wrote down, like, time, the 90s time for great guest vocals, hardcore metal. I mean, I had this uh, with Max Cavalera and Chino on the Strife record, Phil and Zemo on Earth Christ. Another band that kind of, like, is that blend of, uh, I mean, new metal always had, like, screaming vocals and clean vocals blended. Have you ever, I mean, I'm sure you know, know that band. You probably know you, the, the people you know that band vision of disorder oh dude I, I was exactly that was another band i was gonna bring up with like a new metal vibe you know that was yeah. like within the hardcore scene yeah and they also did like the the first one was pretty straightforward hardcore with clean vocals but then the second one in print i still to this day i really love this record and it has like a lot of new metal but also like a bit of this this uh i don't know you want to call it like this artist kind of sound you know like this technical uh more down-tuned bit off-key thing and that also featured phil and selma on guest vocals so pretty much phil like ran through the hardcore scene and said like hey let me sing <laughs> <laughs> yeah vod was uh I, I i when i was in 454 big block we played with them and um yeah they were all right they were pretty cool i mean like i you know i don't really i don't celebrate their music necessarily but they uh yeah they they were like a, a typical bill would be like 25 to life and vod playing at like ct bike in connecticut that jamie hatebreed <laughs> booked you know what i mean uh, yeah, it was right. like uh that kind of thing which was like way off to the left of what i was into but yeah. uh I, they were a band that i you know i've, I've inter interacted with them like very very briefly but uh yeah, I mean, they, they're, that was a band I was going to say, because I remember when I was working at Newberry Comics at the warehouse, like, we'd put on music all the time, like, and, and that record, the Roadrunner record that, that, that you referred to, yeah. and as well as the Earth Crisis record were being played pretty regularly on the, the system there. And I was like, mm. yeah, this is like a, a departure in some ways, you know, and like I said, it was like new metal, like corn was big and all this stuff was big and... It's just funny to think of like how I mean hell, new metal even touched Slayer, you know, on Diabolos in Musica. Hey, and and like we had this before Metallica when they did Saint Anger, like the tuning they used and everything was like almost like new metal, and it's just like that's the band that opened the doorways for everything. And then, like, they imitate the bands that imitated them, and it just comes out as something totally terrible. But then again, like, I think one of the first real new metal records also was Roots by Sepultura, because with Chaos AD, they already, like, opened the path to a more, like, easy, accessible kind of metal. But then with with uh, with uh, Roots, they had, like, the down-tuned guitar and stuff that in new metal was popular. And I don't kind of, even though new metal or, like, alternative metal was attractive to some point i always hated roots i could never like that never did anything for me 
See, I have a different perspective on roots because I think um, I'd like to think that Neurosis actually influenced that record. I I can see why. Yeah, totally. You know, and yeah. because that was around the time that Neurosis was, uh, which is interesting too, because like Neurosis has like a at that particular period, it was um, through Silver and Blood had this yeah. down tuned vibe, like tribal drums. Definitely no rapping or funk. Influence, <laughs> none, none of that was in part of that, but they had like the samples, you know, and yeah. all this like stuff. These like textures that would become really big in new metal. Um, yeah. And I, I almost think that the appeal of putting them on like these tours with like Soulfly and, you know, Ozfest and all this stuff. And well, Soulfly was later, but like, you know, that yeah. would have been like, oh, maybe we can sneak this band into the consciousness of these corn fans but obviously that didn't work but i think that neurosis probably and also knowing that max cavalera is a fan of good music you know probably took that into heart was like this tribal aspect of the neurosis music and like you know what i'm a forward-thinking kind of guy let me put this together with what we're doing in uh in sepultura and i kind of feel like like the new metal comparison to Roots came much later. When I first heard Roots, I was like, "Oh, this must be because they toured with them on Ozfest or something," you know. Okay, well, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but I get where you're coming from too, because it is, with the perspective of history, they definitely de- dipped way into the new metal sound, you know. Yeah, and then I mean, when when Cavalera left, he founded Soulfly, and that was a straight up new metal band in a way. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of it, man. I think that's all we got to say about this topic. And it was bound to happen once again since we talked so much about new metal. Yeah. And, and now, now we will both have like more minus points on the traditionalist black metal uh, elite <laughs> list, list of bands. It's like, oh no, look at these faggots. They like, they like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I don't even. I care less. You know, if anyone's got a problem with me, you know where to find me. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> also like always. I mean, we. I had this. I had interviews like this where with like these classic black metal outlets, and they're like, "Yeah, Ulfa is not a real black metal." It's like, dude, I've answered this question so many times. If you don't want to consider us black metal because of the way we look. Or that, like, a main influence on our songwriting is Portishead. I don't give a shit, man. And interview your God knows, like, the three millionth copy of Mayhem. I, I don't give a shit anymore. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not apolo- I'm totally unapologetic about loving Deftones. They're a great band, and I'm glad we were able to do this podcast about them. Well, actually, if you want to talk about true black metal, uh, you know, like, pop music and Mayhem... Uh, I direct everyone over to the uh, What's in Your Bag, the uh, the Hellhammer, or yeah. not the Hellhammer, the um, Necro Butcher, Necro Butcher yeah. uh, episode where he talks about a lot of the same music that we just talked about being in his bag. So Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like the first, I think, the beginning of Black Metal was pretty much like, this is our punk statement against uh, against the death metal standards. And look at what, what happened. Like everything is so cliche and so standard right now that I'm like always glad the fans incorporate different influences and make their sound bigger in a way. I mean, it can go totally wrong. I mean, we both know black metal bands that we 
think is totally pathetic for for what they do but i mean stubbornness can be cool but it was never my thing in writing music but also i i also feel that there's like tons of new bands within black metal that are doing really cool stuff these days you know like i mean the the band that comes to mind is uh the canadian band panzerfaust yeah you know they they actually they sound like a like almost like a black metal isis at times yeah and uh i mean i remember when when you guys tombs played roadburn the first time the band before you on the stage was oranzi pazuzu yeah and i remember you saying that this is the future of black metal and it's like look at what they, what they've become they've become their own thing and it's great and also, one of the things that I like super memorable to me was when Planks and Tombs toured the U.S. and we were at the uh, Relapse yeah. office headquarter. Um, you guys were like in talks, I don't know, like, and, and we were outside, and one of the of the staff members was told to like g- give us the tour and like put together a box of CDs if they want some. And so we got like this, like Benny, Frank, and I all had like twenty CDs of random bands. And one band was Horseback, and yeah. um, and this Invisible Mountain record that came out, and it sounds like a like record by Earth, like Hacks of Earth, just like with Xaster vocals on it. And I remember like the bleakness, and it was like it was almost like desert burism in a way. And to this day, I think this is more black metal than so much of the cliche black metal. And I like that black metal was able to take all these shapes and forms yeah and anyone who's left left uh you know was hung in this long too man Uh, a really good source of interesting black metal music too is uh my buddy jackie smith's podcast into the necrosphere he always has like really cool like bands on there, interviews his like demo like you know reviews i get a lot of information from that show and um Trivax actually is another band that I'm really into. That's uh, I'm going to have uh, Shan on as a as a guest on this show at some point. Uh, cool. That's coming up. But yeah, that's if you want if you get bored if you think there's no future in black metal, check out Jackie's show because he's got like such a deep insight into this new stuff that's going on. <laughs> 